Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is me, Mr. Matty Treats. I'm still under quarantine. I'm still in your house. Well, technically in my house. Well, technically in my apartment, which is my house. It's a very confusing story we got going on. Um, with me is my trio's tag team champions of the world, uh, the master library, Mr. Kevin Hellions. Hello, everyone. Kevin Hellions, Kevin Decent, Mass Library, whatever. I go like three faces of Foley and just as Harry. Well, on the face. Not not up top anymore. You are the three faces. What would be your dude love? Mr. Crisp. Mr. Mr. Crisp was your dude love? You know, why don't you tell us a few stories about Mr. Crisp to the audience? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Crisp, there, there's a legendary tale involving you know what? three why of don't us. We, why don't we save Mr. Crisp for the Attitude Era? <laughs> you want to save it? All right. Well, here's the thing. Mr. Crisp is your Lothario. It's it's your, you know, he's, he's your dude love. He's very adult-oriented, though. We are in cartoon WWE. That is what we're covering right now. So I think just waiting, and, and when we get to the attitude area, that's when Mr. Crisp comes out. <laughs> it's a tease. Our, yeah, you are a tease. So our third member of the team the educator of excellence. Educator, are you still stuck in your house? Still stuck in my house, still waiting out the, uh, you know, this social, or I should say this national health crisis that we're going through right now. Taking it day by day, wondering if when normalcy will return. But until then, we're going to continue to power through the retro, uh, retro wrestling shows, the in-your-house shows that... You know, we were growing up with in high school and junior high school and going to go back memory lane 25 years. Educator, have you tried leaving your house? I tried leaving my house today. I got thrown back into my house by a bunch of lumberjacks. Oh, uh, uh, lumberjacks. <laughs> Wait, waiting right outside the door. No escape for you. Huh? Triple D Dukes the Dumpster Drossy out there just waiting to go. Uh, yeah. We are back. We want to once again thank the Retro Network for having us on. I did not realize that the podcast was launching the week of WrestleMania or Corona Mania, whatever you want to call it. Uh, fascinating and just, I guess, perfect timing for us to, to really do that. I mean, the whole website, talking about your favorite, favorite 80s wrestlers. Uh, I mean, the, the amount of content there was. I know uh, the Mass Library, Kevin, you were talking about Dark Side of the Ring. I mean... On your your personal uh, page, I, I just think it was a perfect time to launch the podcast. Uh, so we did want to thank the the Retro Network. Yep, uh, I just want to say it, it it was some synergy there for everything to launch and come out at the same time. It's poetry because it rhymes. But I want to give a shout out to uh, not not an official member here of our of our group of our triple threat of our trios titles, but. Uh, an unofficial one, unofficial, kind of like someone in a match that we'll be discussing uh, late, later tonight. I met him through another podcast I do, but my friend Richard Reader was nice enough to make up our logo, make up our graphic. It's beautiful. It fits in within your house logo. I was thrilled to see it. And uh, as soon as I started sending it around, everyone else was happy with it, too. It was, did a phenomenal job. 
Yeah, yeah, we, we do want to thank Mr. Reader with, with that. Uh, it's just a great, uh, great podcast. I really think it fits the theme of the show uh, and kind of the nature of what we want to, I think, achieve by, by going over this. Um, any other thing? Mr. Educator, do you want to thank anyone, anyone out there you can think of? Uh, I've got nobody right now, so let's let's go right through the let's go right to the show. You know, I, I, should we get to the elephant in the room? I think the most talked about moment on our first episode was when the educator of excellence buried Jerry the King Lawler. I've gotten texts from people, headlines across the way. People want to know, Mister Educator, is your back okay from shoveling so much dirt onto his lifeless career? <laughs> oh, back back is fine. I made sure I stretched a lot before we sat down for this podcast, so uh, we're, we're we're doing all right. We uh, we made sure we didn't tear any quads. Back's all in order. We're ready to go. I feel like uh, Kevin Nash just took a stray bullet on that one. So. <laughs> all right, so why don't we get into it? Why don't we talk about in your house two, which was in your house two? This is when they started actually differentiating the in your houses. Uh, by giving them kind of like a little subtitle. So this is The Lumberjacks. Uh, of course, it takes place in Nashville, uh, Tennessee, at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium. Uh, thank you to Wikipedia for letting me know that. Uh, I, I think we get started right with a great music video, uh, which is a, a theme song to In Your House, which is The Lumberjack theme song. What did you guys think of uh, that music video? Uh, had, did, had you guys forgotten that the song ever existed and that they brought it back, uh, you know, rewatching this? Oh, I mean, I think there's like two memorable WWE-created songs that are, you know, wrestler entrance music. This is not one of them. Uh, and it's also a, a far, far fall for Michael P.S. Hayes. As if the Doc Hendricks over-the-top cartoon character isn't enough, he's making all this music, too, which is just, you know, like, commercial jingles, really. Especially compared to the greatness that is Bad Street USA. Absolutely. Just, it's it's wrestle crap. It's 95, cartoony, WWF. Um appealing to uh, uh, the the g- general audience that nowhere near to the point tiptoeing towards that attitude era that we're eventually going to get to through this podcast. I, I think it's a classic platinum classic <laughs> song. I have to disagree with you guys. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I think it's, I totally didn't even, I, I didn't even uh, really know the song existed. I totally forgot about it until I had to rewatch this, this pay-per-view on the WWE network. Uh, sign up to get your free 30-day trial or whatever it is. So, uh, but let's get, we, we started off with uh, Vince and Jerry the King Lawler uh, kind of going over. Can we talk about their outfits for a second? The bolo ties. Lawler with that fantastic. It's like that, seeing a cowboy at Burger King and he takes one of the cardboard crowns and puts it over his cowboy hat he's already wearing. Pick a gimmick, sir. If you're going to be a king, be a king. <laughs> you can't be a king and a cowboy at the same time. Pick one, run with it. That's that's just that's a life mantra right there. You can't be a king and a cowboy at the same time. <laughs> you, can, you can only choose your own adventure, I guess, when it comes to that. Um, you know, the hat, crown, combo, money in the bank there. Uh, and the bolo ties. I really like the bolo ties worn by Vince. Uh, 
I feel like back in the day they used to do that all the time. It's, where it's, they, it, only certain people can pull off the bolo tie look. Is Vince one of them? No, he is not. Is Jerry the King one of them? No, he is not. Is Todd Pettengill one of them? Oh my god. Todd Pettengill, I don't think he's had a look he could pull off. I like how this is coming from the Doctor of Style, Mr. Library. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, yeah. So uh, let's get started with our first matchup. The one two three kid uh, versus the roadie. What a uh, a barn burner of a match, I'd like to say. Um, in my opinion, I, I thought the kid's offense looked nice and crisp. Uh, he's really you forget how good his kicks looked uh, back in the day. But what did you what did you guys think of this Matt Classic? Certainly, given the opportunity for the uh, fans of the WWF to see eventually what would curtail into the road dog Jesse James, uh, a singles push where he's not really relying on anybody outside the ring to tag in and out. Really, just seeing his ability to. Uh, be be the focal point of attention. I know that the last show we, we had talked about, you know, he, he's maximizing his minutes, so to speak, on the camera. And any motion that he was doing, he knew that all eyes were on him. In this point, in this match, he was able to be the focal point that everybody had the opportunity to see uh, the bits and pieces of charisma that were just starting to build that eventually led to that Road Dog Jesse James character in DX that we got to see a few years later. Uh, second best match of the night, I'd say. <clears throat> um, kid, you know, just doing classic one, two, three kid stuff. And it, it's crazy, like, how innovative and how new and how fresh he seemed at the time, being a smaller guy, being more athletic, doing the moves he did, and how common he seems today, rewatching that. Uh, Rody just doing fantastic. I mean, absolutely just begging to come out and be a star and. It, you know, exude everything. It's just, everything's already there. It's just waiting for that, you know, one missing piece to go with it for him to be a star. And then of course, and, and we can discuss our, our reactions to it, but the nastiest finisher I've seen in quite some time oh. with the second rope pile driver that the roadie hits kid with that the fact that everything was immediately stopped to put, a neck brace on him to wheel him out on a gurney to do anything is shocking because it's just brutal looking. Yeah, that was an ugly spot. Uh, you know, uh, basically what we're talking about is the roadie hits the one, two, three kid with a, was it second rope pile driver? Second rope, yep. Second rope pile driver. And I mean, it's just, it just looks, it's so dangerous to do and, and to think about it like, it's. I, I mean, they, they would never get away with doing that. I think now. I mean, a normal pile driver is what Steve Austin broke his neck on against Owen, a, a quote normal one. Right. Jerry Lawler was known for doing pile drivers, as it, you know. This is in Nashville. He's king of Memphis wrestling. You know, we're right next door to each other. So you, ex- I would expect a pile driver on the show, kind of like a an echo. Uh, you know. Uh, an homage, out, La- yeah, an homage to Lawler. An homage to Lawler. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but not this. <laughs> if Lawler got in the second rope, it was to drop a fist. Do you think that's where they came up with the ending to the match? Was, okay, we're in Tennessee. L- you know, Lawler's on the show. Let's do a little homage to him and, and end it with a pile driver. 
absolutely. Road Dog didn't have a finisher yet. You know, it's two young people that are willing to do something to get noticed. You know, have people talking about their match. It's the opener match of the show. Absolutely. I think it was on purpose. It makes me wonder, knowing the, the different issues that the one, two, three kid, Sean Waltman, X-Pac, had throughout his career, was taking this bump kind of like the precursor that led to some of the more well-known issues he had later in his career with his neck. Just the spot, it, it just it looks so awkward how he was basically folded up on himself, coming down hard. The angle just seemed so awkward. And... Um, but I, he sold it like a champ, you know, without a doubt. And uh, we, we, we see a singles win for, for uh, the roadie. Question for you guys. Obviously, the WWE has, has changed. I mean, they're, they're no longer the WWF. The WWE, and this was the WWF at the time. But was there match producers back then? Like, obviously, but, but not like how we know now, right? I mean, where they're really coming up with every kind of beat of the match until they trust the wrestler. Um, was that the, the same back in, in the mid-90s? Well, when you got people pulling them apart, uh, Briscoe, um, oh, shoot, I can't remember. Like, there's Tony Gurria. Was Lanza, were, I think Blackjack Lanza was probably around then, too. Yep, who's got the blonde hair bowl cut and the Rene, glasses? Rene Goulet. Rene Goulet. Yeah. Um, all of them are, and then uh, I was going through just, you know, for extras for this uh, pay-per-view, and coincidentally, a couple months ago, WWE sat down Road Dog, Shawn Michaels, and Jeff Jarrett to rewatch their match, which we'll talk about later in the evening. Jarrett and Michaels mentioned Chief J. Strongbow giving them notes after the match, or that he would give them notes after the match. So he must have been a producer for these as well. No, it's not the way it is now, where it's really a producer, director, you know, a script assistant. You know, whatever you want, like it's it's more than one hat that they're wearing, even more hats than Jerry Lawler was wearing. But a bunch. But, but um, no, I, I absolutely think someone walked up to the two of them, said, "Here's a finish. Here's what we're gonna do," and that was the last that they saw or talked to them for the day. I think it was a two minute conversation. I don't think it was as as hands on as uh, we're led to believe it is now. Yeah, and I, I'm also curious, too, because Vince is doing commentary, and we, we know Vince is sitting in Gorilla before people go back. I mean, first person you see on your way out and on your way back in. What kind of messages does he relay at this point? Is he re-watching um, the shows as not an announcer? Because when you're in the moment, you're in the moment. You're probably not um, taking notes. I mean, or maybe he's relying on those producers to give notes after the match. He talked so much too, because I I would have thought previously that because it's it, there's always been stories that there's a second feed and he would switch over to you know have a command to the production truck or whatever that wouldn't be picked up on the announcing. But he it's a two man booth and he talks so often on it that I can't imagine he could have been switching over to give messages. So either he would have had to sit down the you know that night the next day to go through it, or he was taking notes. But I can't imagine I can't picture taking notes and watching the action at the same time. And and this and this is a Sunday night show, so because this was on um, uh, WWF typically ran their pay per views on a Sunday, so they there would be you know your your raw the next day for the fallout. So. Probably very, very little time, even though Vince is known to be like 22 hours a day he's working or whatever. 
there's probably very little time probably working on getting to the next town because he was commentating Raw the next night, I'm sure. Now, was this at the point, was Raw live on Mondays? Or was this... Not yet. Not, not yet. So would they have taped Raw the, the, for the night after previously, right? Well, you would tape... You would do a pay-per-view tape one to four Raws. Um, like, do, do a live Raw that Monday and then tape everything else... For the next, for the next two, weeks, two or three night. tapings. So I'm willing to bet having this being the, the pay-per-view blow-off, there was probably a fresh set of tapings the next night, including the live Raw that would have happened the next night. So it's just kind of interesting to kind of think what the mindset is, how a move like that gets gets by, what kind of, uh, you know, who's willing to take it, that sort of thing. And it's, it's fascinating to see how much, how more produced it is now, obviously, to no pun intended, but how raw it was uh, back then and stuff. Right. Kind of interesting. So why don't we, we move ahead? So we go to Todd Pettengale, who's talking to the corporation's lumberjacks, you know, just just evil guys getting in this little Sid promo in there. And then we get to my favorite portion of these early pay-per-views. We're selling... A, it's a running theme already. Yeah, we're selling a t-shirt, baby. Merch! Got uh, Gotta sell that merch. The good thing though is they must have listened to our last podcast because they have three new, they have three total sizes. Of course, everyone <laughs> remembers the uh, Bret Hart all over print shirt that was one size fits all. We got a large and extra large and a double XL of the event t shirt. Now, this event t shirt, I mean, to me, it's a one in a million kind of t shirt. Well, one in a million in that you certainly can recycle certain images that you use from the last <laughs> pay-per-view. And sadly, I had actually purchased the same exact identical shirt from the Syracuse In Your House 1 show when it was just uh, the regular title match between uh, Sid versus uh, uh, Diesel. But they just decided to carry over that same image and, and reprint the shirt, just changing the back logo to the updated uh, card and the uh, the date on the back for the Lumberjack pay-per-view. So, <laughs> Do you think, because obviously this, this pay-per-view took place after uh, King of the Ring, so do you think they, they went into the warehouse and they're like, ah, oh, geez, look at how many of these leftover shirts we have from the first in your house. What can we do to differentiate it? Let's put the Lumberjack in the Nashville Municipal Auditorium on the back. Very, very much possibly the case. <laughs> it's it's almost like a concert tee. Like here's here's our show, and then here's all the cities we're gonna stop in on the back. Right. They do that now for house shows, where you see WWE live, and then on the back it has a listing of you know the two month schedule that they're doing. Well, I mean, they also do like Brock Lesnar always has a Suplex City shirt, and it's whatever city Raw or the pay per views in, and that's right. all that changes is the city on it. Um, the Usos had one for a while too, down since day one, and it'd say, you know, Brooklyn, St. Louis, Detroit, you know, wherever they are. Yeah. When I went to, I, I went to a SmackDown, uh, literally like a, literally one month ago, and they had a Buffalo is awesome shirt for the Miz. You know, they, they must do that for every, every place that they go to. Now, I'm curious, how many of those shirts do you think, uh, number one, how many do they come up with? How many do you think they print off? Like, just ballpark. What do you guys think? I, I Probably fifty thousand. I don't know. I think can't do fifty thousand. To me, fifty. I mean, for that show, maybe a thousand. Because you got to oh, think. Oh, you mean you mean live for the event? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably a couple thousand. thousand yeah. Size. Yeah. They had a MWO a Buffalo for Life shirt. 
<laughs> that, uh, the Buffalo show, which I just thought, which was funny because NWO was there for the Hall of Fame. They had the Hall of Fame segment. So, yeah. Speaking of, uh, watch this. They don't call me the best in the biz for nothing. Speaking of the NWO, let's move on to the Razor Ramon versus uh, King Mabel uh, match. Boom, nailed it. Uh, so we have, so we have King Mabel and Sir Mo. Sir Mo. Uh, Sir Mo. Taking on Razor Ramon and Savio Vega. Um, what do you guys think of this match? Uh, the kind of tease that uh, Razor had hurt ribs, but he was okay. You know how they know? Because he took the brace off and threw it. Took the brace off, <laughs> threw, it, threw it at Mabel at the uh, start of the match. I, I, I still think that Mabel was still trying to figure out what his gimmick is, being the king of the WWF, in that for whatever reason, as a part of his entrance in the middle of the ring, he felt as the king, he should be bowing to the crowd. Um, someone forgot to tell him that he, people should be lauding him for being the king, not not him bowing. So, s- still ironing out the details for the new gimmick, being the king of the WWF. But uh, it, it was certainly an interesting match, trying to slowly plant the seeds of... Uh, Mabel eventually becoming the next challenger for being the next big guy and challenging for the WWF championship. Yeah, and you do see that obviously later during the Lumberjack match uh, when they kind of they foreshadow that because Mabel would get the, um, I mean, he, it would be Mabel versus, spoiler alert, Mabel versus Diesel at SummerSlam next month. What did you, um, did anything stand out from this match whatsoever? I mean, as far as action-wise, to me it was just a, it was a passable match. Um, I know, Kevin, I know you were talking really um, good about, you were impressed by Sir Mo in his performance. Oh, God. <laughs> On episode one, I actually thought it was Oscar still coming out with Mabel, but it's not Sir Mo. So I, I apologize for that error. But Mo's awful. Mo is absolutely horrible. And your standard tag team like this should be your big guy stands on the outside, waits at so your little guy who can work right. takes a beating right or does you know a lot of good stuff here and then you get the hot tag in right tougher to do when you're a heel team because you know the whole point's to beat up the smaller face but mo should be the better worker that mabel works around which is what the owen hart and yokozuna tag team is but mo is awful Mabel's doing more of the work in the match than he is and tagging out when he's finally gas and just needs to take a break. Right. Um, Razor looks like a beast in this match. He's just best shape, completely massive in control of everything. Like if it wasn't for certain other issues, probably but would have been a world champion. Great work. Savio speaking of the smaller guy taking a beating takes a beating so well in this match. Sells the hell out of everything. Just phenomenal work. Um, the only big move in the match is Mabel climbs up on the ropes and Razor gives him a push off, which it's not really body slam. It's not really a power, a solo power move from Razor. It's both guys working together to pull this off. But it's the biggest move, I'll say, of the match. Um, but I mean, Mabel, it, you know, I got thinking about it more and more. Mabel, Yoko, um, there's been a couple other examples but it seemed like if you taught each big man one surprisingly athletic move, that was that you were good. Just as long as you can do that one move well, you don't need any other ones. So Mabel has this random spinning heel kick right. that he can do. But that's it. That's his only athletic move. But he can do that one well. 
Um, I mean, I think when they decided to do the, the heel turn and decide to focus on Mabel being the singles guy with the king of the ring and all that stuff, I think Mo knew that his his, his time his time was definitely numbered. Uh, that you know, w- what is it that he's going to be viable in doing? Um, I mean, he, he's trying to be the worker. He's trying to pull off some decent spots, but it, it looked awkward. I, I don't want to say awful, but just you know, he he's climbing to the top rope to do a moonsault. And he is so un- it just he looked so uncoordinated that when he went to the top, he had to kneel on the top rope to then steady himself to stand himself up. He does the moonsault and just it obviously it, it was a missed moonsault. It, it just seemed very awkward. And I really think that with the change with the uh, going with Mabel being the singles guy, just. What what was what was Mo gonna do now that there was no fun loving Oscar men on a mission, you know three man group and he was trying was to be something. the trying to be the additional foil but he he wasn't wasn't good at doing it unfortunately. Also, WWF at this time is not in a good enough position for someone to be complacent, right? And that's what he absolutely is. He's just like, I'm, he's phoning it in. He's, you know, I'll show up, I'll do my job, and I go home, and I'm not giving anything extra, and I'm not improving, and I'm not doing anything to better myself. Well, we'll take some indie person, pay them less than you probably to just get someone on the show. Right. And I, like indie wrestling wasn't dead at this time. You know, they, you, you could find someone else, but, and, and, over the years of us watching wrestling, you get upset. Your favorite person's gone. The talent you like isn't getting the push. But as we get older, you see people that, you know, and, and we'll see on the show too. Okay, I may have liked that guy as a kid, but he's not a good wrestler. And I agree with them for never giving this person a title or letting them go eventually or whatever the decision was. Qu- question for you guys. When you're talking about getting complacent and stuff, you usually think about wrestlers um, I always think about wrestlers and their age and kind of how that correlates. How old do you think Sir Mo is at this point? Oh, well. <sighs> he's uh, you'd probably in his mid to late twenties. I, I I don't think he was too old. I mean, because if you think about it, I mean Mabel just passed away a few years back, and he was in his mid forties when he died. I'm just so. saying Mo was older than Mabel. By like a couple of years, like he was supposed to be, you know, the the veteran, the older brother, the the more mature one of the two. Well, that is that is definitely true. No, but but Sir Mo at this time was. Are you guys ready for this? Um, he was thirty one. Yeah, he was thirty one. That's I children I would have guessed thirty one. But 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 you're talking about when you talk about getting complacent and stuff like that when it comes to in ring work. I, usually, you think people on the downside of their career. Yeah. You know, just kind of collecting a paycheck. Or as McCarthy calls it, lollering it up. Oh, come on now. <laughs> so, so. Come on now. Uh, no, yeah. So. He just has, some, he has something against Kings. Yeah. Just I, uh, So then, then let's be honest. What value was the Sir Mo character? What was he bringing to enhance Mabel and, and making that more, much more of a viable package, a viable team? Well, Mabel needed someone like Malcolm Bivens. That's what he could have used. Right. Malcolm Bivens in NXT right now, who just debuted this monster tag team out of nowhere right. and got hired in WWE NXT 
in 2019 because he could talk with the glut of talent hired by WWE right now to get hired because you talk better than anyone else says something. Mabel would have could have used someone like that, which but Mo they, was not. But he they got talked as well as he wrestled. Right. Sir Mo was the guy just to take the beating. When you have a monster like Mabel, you can't have him take. Doesn't a he beat. take a good beating he, though? He but when he was a part of the babyface team, he was the guy drawing the sympathy from the fans as he was taking the beatdown and would then t- tag in and Mabel for the hot tag. Now with the roles being reversed and the in the team being a heel team. What value was he bringing? Because he couldn't draw on the crowd for like the sympathy beat down and the sympathy chance. What value was he bringing to to Mabel uh, uh, as an additional piece to the package that what WWF was trying to build at the time? I just don't see much. He and it's almost like, and I, I understand what you're saying, Matt, because he is too big to be the small guy that hides behind the big guy. You know, he's the, he's the guy with like, oh, this is my friend. He's going to take you on. Like how Sean was with Diesel when Diesel was his enforcer. Sean would hide behind Diesel. I mean, obviously, Mabel's the bigger guy, but Mo, Mo is huge. He's still I mean, a, he big guy. a big guy. Yeah. yeah. They had him build at 288 pounds, but he, he was a thick 288. He was a shorter guy, shorter guy, but he was, yeah, you're right. I mean, he was a bigger guy that could not get the sympathy, you know. Uh, especially if, as a if heel. Turned, if you had made him into like a heat-seeking, annoying manager role that wrestled as well, it could have gone over better. Well, so anyways, let's move on to the uh, the Double J performance of uh, With My Baby Tonight. What did, what did you guys think of this performance? By the way, did you guys know Big Al is on guitar and Harry's on drums? Oh, isn't <laughs> Big I think that was mentioned after they mentioned uh, last show was on Mother's Day. You know I've always wanted to do this. But I bada boo da ba da bada bow. <laughs> it's it's a good yeah, lip sync performance. Is it's, though? He, he did as well as he could. You like you would have bought it as a kid. Like, oh he's singing. All right, cool. And and uh, as they interviewed kids in the audience later, I think a lot of people bought it for the time. I would say this is WWE's biggest uh created piece of music that they ever did huge song still known to this day for wrestling fans i just i I just think his performance wasn't anything great i mean he's lip syncing and he's really not moving he's not entertaining at all he's not dancing on the stage he's literally just standing there standing in front of the mic but but at the time the big controversy for the bands that were getting caught lip syncing is you're dancing so much on stage but this the vocals you're not, you're that we're hearing, up, right? Yup, it doesn't sound like you're winded. Doesn't sound like right. you're running around. I can't hear you breathing, and that's how they started getting caught for lip syncing. So for Jarrett to not move around too much kind of falls into what was going on in pop music at the time. I'm sorry, but the WWF at the time wasn't known for subtlety. So to me, <laughs> knowing where the storyline goes, that's a missed opportunity. What do you think the long term plan? Uh, of this was was there do you do think want- there was meant to be a, a big crossover uh, a stronger crossover to uh, the country music side of things were we were we trying to do a 90s version of the the rock and wrestling but with the country and wrestling well, what, what are your guys it? thoughts on that do we want to do it now or do we want to do it after the Jarrett match um i guess I mean, either way, it doesn't matter. I just, just you know, the idea of this this 
glitz and glamorous performance trying to show off Double J as, you know, the world's greatest singer, the world's greatest entertainer, the world's greatest wrestler. So he's doing the entertaining, he's doing the singing that he keeps boasting about. But granted, obviously, at the end of the night, things had changed. But what do we think the, the long-term plan tentatively was? Shorthand, and we can come back to it after Derek. Shorthand, Brian James is going to be country version of John, what John Cena did with All an right. album. Brian James Armstrong's brother had a short run WWE before this as Lance Cassidy. And the gimmick was going to be a singing cowboy. Didn't work out. Didn't get over. He left the company. But, you know, respectfully, it's just this isn't working. We'll see you later. They said, oh, you can sing. That's great. We've been wanting to do the singing cowboy gimmick. He said, I can sing, but my brother can sing even better. So when they came back around to this gimmick with Jarrett, they already started wondering, hey, what's Brian James Armstrong up to? So it was already like, for whatever reason, they hadn't gone as far as, you know, bringing him in, signing him, doing that. But it was already being talked about. And then Shawn Michaels one day was saying, oh, hey, I had this great idea for a gimmick. Jarrett needs his own road crew. And it was going to be like a whole road crew at first, too. So apparently, uh, before a show, Shawn Michaels is following Jarrett around like a roadie, and he said, the funniest thing is the harder a roadie is trying to hide, the more visible they are, which is true. Right. So he was doing this, and it was just cracking everyone up, and then they're like, oh, we need to get a roadie, and then it came back to Brian James, road dog there. All right, well, there it is. <laughs> where, where was that? Was that off the, um, the Something to Wrestle With podcast? I listen to a lot of stuff this week. You have really been getting into <laughs> double podcast on YouTube. You've been getting into double J a lot, so <laughs> I've been impressed with him. Like I, I, I hated when he controlled TNA and almost always had the title, but his his intercontinental time frame, great work, really good work. Question: Because earlier you said too, like okay, watching this, like oh, my favorite's not being pushed, but now I see why. It, are you almost flipped on Double J going through these old kind of, and we get to the match, it's it's after this next match, but we get to it, which is, I Head and Shoulders is the best match, the Double J HBK match. Are you more like, why didn't he get pushed better? Well, I mean, and, and, and we'll get to it, but I, I think that the reasons you, any of us at home can make decisions for our home. We cannot make decisions for the entire town we're in based on our home. So you can't make a decision for all of WWF, WWE based on what's best for one character. You need to do what's best for the whole company. So there's certain things where I'm like, why didn't they do this? But I realize because that would have hurt overall for the company. And there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes in this era. You can see why certain things happened. For, right. for better or worse in hindsight. Right. All right, well, let's move on. Anything else to add about the Double J performance? Just Song's been in my head all week. <laughs> my Vivi tonight. Who wrote it? I don't know. I didn't look it up. I Do not Jim know. Johnson. Did Jim Johnson? Probably write? Jim Johnson. With lyrics by Doc Hendricks? Did he write this one? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Is this this pay-per-view, the Doc Hendricks album? Uh, sorry, but let's just, let's, let's just move on. Uh, if you guys looked that up, I couldn't find it. So Henry Godwin, the hog. Uh, takes on Bam Bam Bigelow. Th- this match is notable because Henry's bringing out the slop. The slop is a delicious-looking salad. 
It looks fantastic. It looks fantastic. I, th- I thought he went to Ruby Tuesday. He's got the salad bar loaded up, <laughs> took it to go. Uh, maybe it's just because I've been eating frozen pizza and frozen dino nuggets and stuff like that. But that looked really good. <laughs> They'd certainly made some improvements on the slop in future episodes by actually using it to spill and pour on people. But certainly you, when you, there was a zoomed in look at that, at that slop, you, you knew, no, they're not going to be pouring any salad over anyone's head anytime soon. Yeah. This one looks <laughs> like salad and other ones look like rotten cheese curd. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so Bam Bam wins anything uh, notable from, from the match. Um, interesting dynamic, you know, big man versus big man. Very interesting start of the match where you got Henry Godwin doing a belly to back suplex, a hard drop on Bam Bam, and he gets up to jaw jack with the crowd. Henry Godwin does. Bam Bam completely no sells that belly to back suplex, like immediately got right up and then proceeded to drop the hog man with his own version. So, uh, great back and forth, I guess, match. I mean, f- the limitations for what they were for the two big men. I mean, we weren't, weren't looking for a, a five-star performance per se, but it, it was an interesting storyline having the Hogman, I guess, doing the bidding of the million-dollar man ever since with Bam Bam being kicked out of the corporation and and then he being pseudo-hired, so to speak, to do some of the, the dirty work or the corporation's bidding to exact revenge on Bam Bam for all the problems he's created since his face turn and being kicked out. Um, unfortunately, Hogman just couldn't get it done tonight. Um, it's two guys that their roles should be reversed. Bam Bam should be heel, Henry Godwin should be face. And I like the idea of the story they're going with Godwin of he's working for the corporation. He's trying to get in good graces. He's trying to get in, but it's not allowing it. It's your rich manipulative millionaire taking advantage of your dumb schmuck farmer. You know, that's, that's a good storyline that you can play in any town WWE tours in and, and work it. But him as the, the heel is not working here, but even worse is Bam Bam as a face. You got Bam Bam who can do these amazing, devastating, powerful moves, works like a big guy, but now he has to sell and take a beating because that's what faces do. And it's just not believable to have this monster on the ground in pain for this stuff. He doesn't work as a face at all. I don't think so. But what about with like Bam Bam style of doing the moonsaults and stuff like that? You don't think that leads to getting cheered? I think he should have stayed. I think eventually a heel becomes respected and maybe even cool heel. And you could have continued with that or maybe still had him be uh, more aggressive, more violent, something. But as soon as you come down and take pictures with kids and slap hands and smile and, you know, he's missing so many teeth anyways there, it removes the edge. That is what got him popular to begin with. So it's like, oh, he's getting so popular. You like this guy? Awesome. He's a good night guy now. Let's take away everything that you liked. So Henry Godwin used to be in WCW as uh, Tech. Shoot, was he Shanghai or was he Tex? He was under the mask, so he was Shanghai. He was Shanghai Pierce. His partner was Tex Slasinger, who debuts later as Phineas Godwin. But he was put in a mask because Dusty Rhodes, the booker at the time, said he's too pretty. No one's going to boo him as a heel. So we got to put him under the mask. So Henry Godwin was pretty boy. All the more reason he should have been the face in this match. Was that a rib? 
Do you think? I don't know, because, I mean, considering who's involved, maybe. But also, I haven't, like, gone through to find pictures of him from, like, you know, a couple years earlier to see if maybe he had a good look to him. Yeah, it's just kind of fascinating what, uh, it's not what you would think would be, uh, you know, pretty boy looks off the top of your head, you know, Henry Godwin. No, it's not, it's not, you know, young Ricky Morton there or anything. (laughs) So... Moving on, we have Bob Backlund in the crowd. This is during the height. They had just, did they just announce that he was running for president like a few months earlier, I want to say? I feel like it was like a year-long thing. This is a great gimmick I think you could give to anyone. Um, do you Do you guys think that would, it would, I, I think it would work now, especially with the way politics are. Um, who do you think, one, do you think it would work now? Two, who do you think could make this gimmick uh, you know, who, who do you think would be good with this gimmick? All right. So in, in our conversations before I could see a Titus O'Neill having this gimmick, Titus world, Titus worldwide. He's running for the worldwide worldwide president coming out, being positive, coming out with these plans, um, throw a little Barack in there and all, but, but rewatching backland here and just, just bear with me for a moment. You, if you want to do it like a modern day politic thing, with a heel, you almost need it to be cultish in a way. And like this people, this guy keeps getting support and keeps getting more and more followers and more and more people are listening to his message. It's almost like a, a religion politics crossover. Clean up Bray Wyatt and just have him come out and cut promos like this to be the leader that you've been needing. Put him in a suit. Yeah, I, I, Backlund was running as a heel. Do you guys remember what his his political platform was? Like, what was his stance? What were the promos? What was he? I think saying? it was education. Education and the uh, society not contributing to the greater well being uh, for advancement. I know he he called people uh, the fans the plebeians and needing to in, in, increase their vernacular and. Uh, you know, the, everybody should know, be able to name all 50 presidents and, and list them in order and, and vice presidents and so on. It's just, yeah, I, big, big time was just education and the direction of society and a downward spiral as opposed to, you know, advancing towards the greater good. I also remember as a kid thinking the words he uses are bigger than they actually are. Like they weren't, you know, re- listening to this again, I'm like, these aren't complicated words and sentences here but as a kid they were educator who do you think would be would make a good president for uh for wrestling reasons uh with the gimmick these days uh one name that came to mind to me was drew gulak and he kind of does that with the powerpoint presentation that sort of thing um you know uh he was like the first one that really jumped off uh daniel bryan could do it. Daniel I mean, Bryan. He could. Have, he could have ran on. It, and I know they tried to do it with. He was the, uh, you know, the, yeah, the environmentalist. Tree, yeah, the tree right. hugging tree uh, environmentalist. Right. Yeah. So th- those were the two that that came right like instantly. But do you have anyone that you think? Uh certainly. Uh, not. Not. I, I thinking what what uh, the, the the mass librarian said here with uh, the Bray Wyatt. That's actually a very. Very interesting take on things. Certainly, yeah, I could see that happening. It'll be after The Fiend. Imagine he could do both. He'd be The Fiend still. That'd be interesting. Yeah, The Fiend could be the vice president, and he would be... (laughs) (laughs) 
Can you imagine? Oh, jeez. I could certainly buy into that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on anyways. Let's get back to wrestling action. We got the Double J versus HBK match. It's just a great match, in my opinion. Oh, oh phenomenal. Match of the night by far. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's not even close. Uh, we do get the title change, the IC title change with um, Double J dropping it to uh, HBK. Absolute fantastic match between the two, certainly showing uh, the ability of uh, of Jeff Jarrett being able to work with a guy of, uh, of his size. You know, I, he just got off the feud with Razor, and Razor being a much, much bigger, bigger character and more of a brawler, but more of a technician now. So Jarrett being able to show a lot of versatility, um, matching up with Michaels, uh, bumping around like crazy, certainly them going back and forth, getting each other's you know, move sets in and so on. Uh, definite, uh, definite MVP Michaels for the night in, with the finish, but certainly uh, the roadie outside the ring, again, making the most of his minutes is what, you know, JR would say uh, today. Th- there were a lot of things that were planned, but then unfortunately I'm sure uh, because of some of the circumstances that were beginning to uh run their course or, or, or become more and more visible. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see uh, the rest of the Jarrett roadie uh, potential planned outcomes to be able to happen and play out the way they, they could have. Yeah. When you talk about maximizing your minutes, there's, there's this one point that I remember and that is when the roadie takes down um, Michaels off the apron and then he just does this little shimmy. He's just this little dance, like he's celebrating, which is just, is fantastic. I mean, just what a cocky move from a heel just to, to do an illegal move and then dance it, shimmy it off. It's, it's, the bits it, it's the bits and pieces of charisma that were being utilized and starting to, you know, you just scratching the surface of what eventually would come, come to be a few years down the road. It's a fantastic opportunity for him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Library, what do you have to say on this match? <laughs> it's the chemistry too. Yeah. Not only Jerry and Sean, which, worked so well together it's amazing how like this match is just seamless Jarrett with one of the best drop kicks i've seen in a while and and if i said there's an amazing drop kick in this match you would have assumed oh sean michaels hits a great drop kick you wouldn't have assumed Jarrett, but also the chris the chemistry between Jarrett and roadie they're already good together like they haven't been together that long they're already working well with each other they already have their whole thing down and it's a shame that the feud didn't happen because i bet they could have had amazing matches too like road dog it and it, you know it probably worked out for the best road dog went down the path he did got, we got new age outlaws and degeneration x and all the cool things from there but honestly i think if he stuck around and worked with Jarrett, he may have risen earlier and had a completely different career so the story is, in my research, Jarrett was told, you're losing the belt. We're going to do the whole thing with the song. It's going to be, you know, it's going to come out that you were lip syncing. It'll be obvious. And then you're going to lose the title. He said, I think that's too much in one night in Nashville. I think it'll destroy my character. Can we spread it out? No. Because we want to get, we want the belt on Sean to set up the next in your house. And we want this story with you and Rody going. So apparently he, they, they debated for a while. They went back and forth and he agreed to it. 
Now, earlier in the night with the song, it was supposed to show Rhodey singing it. Never did. Don't know if that was a glitch. Don't know what happened there. We have, uh, uh, in in uh, our discussions previously, we all talked about there's a weird edit on the show. So I'm wondering if there's something there with Jarrett Rhodey, whatever, when it originally aired. Because on the network, it's very strange the how the, the show just kind of jumps out of nowhere. So apparently everyone sat down and agreed to do this and all. When Jarrett and Rhodey leave ringside, they said, we're out, grabbed their bags, and took off. Jerry Lawler got Jerry Jarrett, Jeff's dad, on the phone later in the evening. Jerry Jarrett said, yeah, they're here, they're at the hot tub, they're hanging out, they're not coming back. They have already signed their deals with WCW. They were both under contract. So now it becomes a legal battle. Apparently a legal battle is bad enough. Rhodey never showed up in WCW. Right. Just as the Tennessee territory of USWA for a while, and Jarrett took forever, does a short stint, and then comes back to WWF anyways. Right. But apparently Jarrett was so upset with his character that through his dad, he starts fielding offers from other people and promise Rhodey, you come with me. And this just never happened. Mm. But that night when they left, they thought it was happening. They both leave because um, Jarrett left for probably four or five months. And then he came back like December-ish and ended up having a feud with uh, with uh, Ahmed Johnson. And I think they ended up having a Royal Rumble match in, in January of 96. And then after that, he was gone and then eventually showed up in WCW and later in 1996. Uh, Road Dog, we don't see him. Well, the roadie at the time. We don't see him. I think he goes down to USWA, or maybe he even did a run at Smoky Mountain. I think Smoky Mountain was still up and going, or maybe it was towards its tail end here. Um, but we don't see Road Dog come back as Double J, Jesse James, and when they ended up outing Jarrett and all that stuff with the whole lip syncing until probably uh, summer to fall of 96. So Now, it also shows a lot for how Jarrett must be viewed though, because, and, and again, through the research, um, apparently Vince McMahon was mad because Jeff Jarrett's dad, Jerry was a booker. He grew up as the son of a wrestling promoter and booker. So he should know. Yeah. Sometimes your character needs to take a hit so we can progress the company's stories and shouldn't have taken it personal. This is not about you. This is about your character. And these are two different things. Um, so Jarrett walks out this night and we go flash forward years later when he holds up WWE for more money the day of a pay-per-view when he's supposed to drop the Intercontinental title to China and takes off the, immediately after. Like you're, And now he's there now as a producer. He's Hall of Famer. So I, I, I guess time heals all wounds in wrestling. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a crazy behind-the-scenes story when it, when it comes to it. Um, you know, and you kind of wish, you kind of want to know. I mean, that's the one thing about wrestling is the story always changes no matter. And, and the, these people that are in the business are such con men too. And they're, they're, they're circus barkers and stuff like that, that everyone's trying to sell you on a story. So, Oh, I mean, we, we were talking before because every one of us has watched uh, different episodes of the dark side of the ring series that's on TV right now, not an official WWE network production. 
there's absolutely people being interviewed on that show, which is supposed to be a documentary journalistic series, and they are absolutely in character running their story. And it might just be a story for one, but it's also not the truth. Yeah. Well, a lot of people do that to protect their hide and stuff like that. So, uh, A couple other things, too, I did notice about this match. Just kind of, I, I just thought it was very odd. Uh, the lack of security in, in the crowd. There's just kids running up to the barricades <laughs> at all points, just trying to, to, to uh, high-five Shawn Michaels and just all over the place. I don't remember going to a show. And maybe it was just my parents wouldn't allow me to run around, but I don't remember kids running around. I can't remember the last time I went to a show like that. I mean, we were at a show a month ago, and you couldn't even stand up without getting yelled at in right. your seat. <laughs> Kevin, when you brought your, your son to the Wiggles, was, was it like that as well? Uh, it, actually, they did say you have to stay in your seat because most of them were at auditoriums with a flipping seat. And they were worried if the kids stood up, they'd fall right through the seat there. Yeah, yeah true. See, just yeah, pulled it just, back up. Very lax security when it comes to that. Um, so anyways, following that, we actually get a great Doc Hendricks uh, little promo thing. And I think this is the most cartoonish, over-the-top thing. And by God, it's so friggin' good. It's so amazing, his performance of the the uh, the breakup between uh, Rhodey and Double J. And, and he punched oh, him. Oh, yeah, pushed yeah, him because... Oh uh, yeah, it was supposed. They were supposed to break up. That's all. In the finish of the match, Rhodey trips Jarrett, and he thinks it's Michaels, but he's turned his back and just stuck his hand out to look like you know casual heel, and he ends up tripping Jarrett, leading to the loss. But then Jarrett and Rhodey take off together because they've already made this plan to leave. But they were supposed to argue in the ring, have a fight backstage. No one knows that they've left. They still want to set up the angle for Raw. So Doc Hendricks just makes something up with no one actually still in the building that he's talking about. So such a good performance, but uh, we got two matches left. So our, our our fifth match on the card was our tag champions Yoko and Owen taking on the Allied Powers, which are Bulldog and Lex Luger. Uh, what you get? What you guys think of this match? Um, also, too, is it me or does I feel like Yoko is getting bigger each pay per view? But at the same time, we're in quarantine and eating a lot of food. I'm also. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm the Yoko of, of the podcast. He just, he looks like it hurts to move. Right. It looks like it hurts him to get up, to walk, to do the steps, to be the match. Looks like he's just like, don't tag me in. Don't tag me in. Oh, he, he looked very uncomfortable. I mean, during his entrance, his entrance to the ring, he didn't even have his regular ring robe on. Uh, he just came out carrying his championship title. It, it, it just, it's it seemed... It, it unfortunately his vices were just too much for him to overcome and he was just and and I've I've listened to many podcasts with with JR telling how he was trying to get him and Vader to to lose weight and they would send them to different types of uh, retreats and resorts to try to get under uh, under a diet man and food management plan and just so unsuccessful and being able to to overcome uh, their food addiction that he obviously had like I got a Godzilla toy in the room I'm in right now, and the way that Godzilla is built with these giant legs to hold up the support of the rest of the body is just how Yokozuna is built right now. Like the legs have to keep getting bigger to hold up the rest of the body. Right. Yeah, I think it's I think it's tough for for, for Yoko too, especially because that's his gimmick. Like his gimmick is he's a sumo, he's a giant man, he's a sumo wrestler. 
But look at him when he was just like a big Samoan dude before his WWF run. He was still huge, but he could move. He was also in his 20s. But, you know, he could move and still be huge. It was amazing to see him, you know, in his youth. It's it's pretty good. Anything from this match that stands out? I, I don't have any notes on this guy. Um, Owen's great. Uh, oh, Owen's always great. Uh, we're, we're a month out of, I mean, this is end of July here, and we're a month out from what we eventually find, come to find out of with Lex Luger's contract uh, being up and the attempts to get him to resign or to extend or anything like that didn't never happen. So certainly Bulldog was kind of like a lame duck in that, that they weren't going to be going too, too much further. And they eventually played out the events on TV with a a Bulldog heel turn later down the road. But um, the, the, the double team maneuver uh, doing the belly to back on, on Yokozuna with Owen or with uh, Bulldog and Luger, both double teaming him to, to do that move. That was actually quite impressive and the spot and, and Vince on commentary just completely sold it like crazy. So it, it was a, a, a good fun, good fun match for what it was meant to be, but it, it did start to show the limitations of, of Yokozuna and uh, the downward path he was going towards. I also think it's kind of interesting. If you look back, I mean, this is two years later after Lex and Yoko at SummerSlam. I mean, right. as your main event. So just to kind of see how they're just in tag teams now, it's kind of, kind of fascinating to see the, you know, the Lex, the Lex Express really didn't take off how they thought it was going to. And uh, fizzled out and just kept slowly moving further and further down the card. I, I think Owen's almost all of Owen's work in this is a rib. I think he's just goofing around, having fun. Uh, whether or not Yoko landed on him on purpose, or he positioned himself, or whatever, I don't know. But I think he was just screwing around out there. Oh yeah, that's sp- that spot amusement. in the corner when Yoko got knocked on his butt, and he fell back towards the corner, and supposedly landed on Owen's foot, and Owen going crazy, running down the steps, hobbling up and down. All oh, that was fantastic, fantastic, fantastic um, work. See, the more and more I, I watch it and look into stuff and everything, I really think that this whole the whole point was to turn Davy Boy, turn British Bulldog heel, had nothing else going for him, have him face on off on Lex, and have the two of them build each other up in their feud to eventually get back up into title contention. I don't think the point was for them to be tag champs. Yeah, how long how long did their, their team last for? They started tagging in probably late February, early March, right before WrestleMania. Um, when they did their WrestleMania match against uh, Jacob and Eli Blue, I mean, they had their had a, a, a mix of both of their theme musics put together. So, I mean, and, and they had a defined name as the Allied Powers. So, I mean, they probably got about a four to five month run out of it. But again, we're nearing the end of Luger's contract and the failed negotiations i guess of what it eventually never came to be so i I think it's time for our main event uh but before we announce our participants i do want to talk about the creatures of the night uh the the undertaker fans that are sitting ringside what the front row emo kids yeah what is this like what exactly were the creatures of the night during the time how long did this last for do you guys do you guys remember I think this was something that came up as a result of 
uh, the the finish at WrestleMania where Undertaker gets the win over King Kong Bundy and his feud with the members of the corporation. And in the middle of that match or towards the end of the match, Kama runs down, knocks down Paul Bearer, picks up his... Um, oh, yeah, he picks up his urn and, like, mid-match does a promo in the aisle way. I think it was Todd Pettengale that was actually interviewing him, or somebody was, but mid-match said he was talking about how he was going to... Uh, take the urn and the powers of the urn and melt it down into a chain. And then it just became a, a gimmick with and a feud with Kama where he ended up wearing this chain to ringside and an undertaker as a result started to lose his allure, his, his powers, his supernatural powers and so on. So, uh, master library here, you help me out with this creatures of the night. were slowly brought in to, to, to do what? To just like, bring the undertaker back to power be a be a way of keeping his his story going on tv without him being in attendance um undertaker wanted the story to go uh comma as part of his the undertaker's own backstage click group whatever you want right. to call it um so it puts both of them into a big storyline and comma appears as a lumberjack and you know for the corporation and and a few things there and Undertaker, while he was in a dark match for the first in your house, and he's in a dark match for this one, he's not on TV right now. Right. But it's a way to, and Paul Bear's not, like, no one involved with Undertaker's on TV except for these creatures of the night. And it's more like that they're, you know, lost, they're also lost without the power of the urn, and we need to come back and raise the Undertaker and get him back and get our energy back and our powers, and very long-term mythical storyline for WWF at the time. I must say there was, you know, the, the two that we see in, on the show here that are sitting in the crowd. And I know there were a couple of others and other combinations of people that acted as the creatures of the night, but the girl in particular, like kudos to whoever did her makeup. Cause she looked like a wax figure or like a mannequin, you know, sitting at ringside, like just, Completely catatonic stare on her face, no emotion whatsoever. Um, just and, it was crazy. I, I think when the happened, the more and more they kept doing it and showing it, you had fans just go to the arena dressed like that, right? And then on later, you know, Raws and stuff, there's all the creatures of the night are here. Now we're going to just actual fans, right? But now it's a thing to do, and and it kind of worked to make it seem bigger as well. Oh, all these creatures of the night coming to get the Undertaker back. Yeah, you got the two you hired, and all of a sudden you got like 20 in the crowd and just build on that. Do you think we'll ever see anything like that again? Like, I, I know, I mean, nowadays you have a lot of um, uh, people that, that, that dress up for, you know, they're the cosplaying and they're going to go and oh, I'm going to dress up as the fiend or anything like that. Um, do you ever think we could see something where we have creatures of the night again? Like, oh, we know who they're going for because this is how they're dressed. Um, you know, and, and it, I'm just, in like a mythical way, well, you could do mythical way, or I think like Raven's flock, like, Oh, I'm a member of the flock sort of idea. Maybe the dark order in AEW D dark order with the masks in AEW. I would see yeah. that. Absolutely. Yeah. I could see like you randomly have dozens, hundreds of people in the crowd just putting on the mask and with the join the dark order printed on their t-shirts yeah. or whatever. Absolutely. I think that's only current gimmick you could do it with. Right. I think there were I think there were times you probably could have done it with the Wyatts, maybe the sheep mask or something. 
but that time's gone. Uh, but it's main event time. We got Sid versus Diesel in our Lumberjack match. Uh, Mr. Educator, um, I think you were really excited about all these Lumberjacks. Oh, who, who, oh boy. Who, who, who were these it's Lumberjacks? It's a who's who and a who's it's, that. It's a who's who of WrestleCraft gimmicks and uh, <laughs> how, how many just, uh, just over-the-top gimmicks just gathered in a row, so to speak. I mean... So at, at ringside here, you've got you've got the uh, the cocky millionaire, you've got the the tax man, you've got the garbage man, you got a race car driver, you got a couple of cowboys, you you got a pirate, you've got a half man, half beast, you you've got a a, a rock band musician, you've got a pig farmer, you, you've got a, a a blue blood aristocratic blue blood you, you've got a, a a tag team that has come from the future and then you've got the uh the uh the the rejects from deliverance here the appalachian hillbillies with the <laughs> the jacob and eli blue the blue brothers blues brothers here so yeah it, it it's just oh the 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 1995 cartoony era just screams how many how many gimmicks can we put together at ringside just to prove hey this is the state and 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 you can understand why the 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 surge of wcw in late 95 and 96 you know why why they they were going the route with their advertisements and and going with this is where the big boys play and so on i mean because i mean if you look at it it's just crazy you know, granted, WCW certainly had its faults. I mean, well, Dungeon of Doom certainly had their crazy gimmicks and whatnot, but just un- unbelievable. Uh, cool question for you, for you, uh, educator. You just went through and you named all these wrestlers, and every time you named, you know, a job, the wrestler pops into your head. You know who they are. You can't do that with wrestling today. No. Like if you have a lumberjack, what do you for Ricochet? You be like the guy that does the flippy stuff. That could be any one of them. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, so do you think maybe, not that obviously the cartoon gimmick is out of the way, but at least they had defined characters. Whereas now, a lot of times these guys get called up and they don't have the defined character. And they don't get the time to, even though they have all the time in the world to run their TV show. Is it a matter of, okay, it's, we're going to label you, okay, this is 1995, and the absolute top end higher ups, the Vince McMahon's, the Briscoes, the uh, you know, they're they're gonna label you uh, with the Bruce Pritchards. They're gonna label you with this gimmick, and you you, you know, make the most of your minutes and get it over. Or is it a matter of now with the new system, with the 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 in house developmental farm system with NXT? I mean, granted, we, we've got our, our Wednesday night NXT shows, but then there's even a core group of, of wrestlers that are in developmental that are under the NXT brand that they're still figuring stuff out and learning their craft, and they're only doing like the Florida, Florida house show loops, and they're not even on TV. So is it something that we need to develop? more time in nxt to create these characters or is 1995 just proof that you know everybody is subject to the whims of 
of Vince McMahon and the absolute upper management of this is what we want. This is the type of character we want. Um, because, I mean, if you think about it, in the big wrestling boom, you know, WrestleMania 1, WrestleMania 2, WrestleMania 3, you, you, you didn't have as many of these goofy, over-the-top characters. You had a hillbilly gym, you know, but uh, it's just it, – 95 is just a weird year. Absolutely. The only reason I bring it up is, is you, you make a great point of the early 80s when you have your first WrestleMania. You have guys, and it's almost like a mixture of the two. You have the well-defined characters, um, but they're, they're very realistic and they're not cartoonish. Same thing with the um, Attitude Era. Not that the Attitude Era didn't have characters. I mean, they had a pimp. They had the headbanger. I mean, you could go on and list it. Yeah, but but your, your top-level guys are, you know, Austin, you know, Rock, which are which are not too over the, I mean they're over the top everyone says they're turned to 11, but they're but they're realistic and they're kind of they're, they're more similar to the guys from the 80s whereas now I just think they don't they don't let them and it's probably cuz the cookie cutter system where they're not they're scripting everything so it all sounds the same. Ever, exactly. Whereas if they just let the, these guys turn themselves up to 11 but be realistic about it um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be better than the cartoony, the guys of the 95. And is this the model that is attempting to happen now on TNT with AEW? I guess we're kind of, kind of a little too early to say one way or another. And, you know, until we get back to the normalcy of regular live shows in front of live crowds, I guess we'll just need more time to tell. Well, I mean, now is the perfect time, obviously, with these shows to do character work. <laughs> character development, absolutely. Yeah, do your sit-down interviews and, and stuff like that. Kevin, what, what did you have about any of these lumberjacks? Anyone stick out in your mind? So, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that, but um, I want to make a point here. I think you got two things going on with the character differences. One, I'm going to guess the toy deal ended just the year before. Because thinking of some of the toys, like Adam Bomb had a toy... Um, Smoking guns, head figures, Yokozuna. All the Hasbro's, right? Yep. Right. But this group didn't. But boy, don't they look like they should have been toys, though. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of very, as what the Broski would say, very toyetic characters yeah. here uh, that certainly would have had, probably sold a lot of figures. But I, yeah, you're right. The toy deal must have ended because uh, there was a, a set of. Uh, new characters that were, were meant to come out and uh, they unfortunately never did. I mean, like near everyone here should, could have been a toy with the right. look, the colors, you know, the gimmick, everything. So I think that was probably part of it, but I think your, your modern day difference is you have to look at MMA and UFC as a reason why modern is different because these need to be real people that can really fight and are really strong and have a, a character, a style, of a, a flair, not to make a pun. But, you know, they have their persona, but they're a real fighter first. And I think that's how everyone is going now, though. You know what's odd about the the UFC, and not to get on a tangent, we kind of went on a tangent here, but it's the UFC, I, I agree with you, it's it's realistic, but the guys are turned up to 11. But the you can tell who's fake. And who's putting on, you know, kind of putting on their gimmick. Whereas 
Conor McGregor, obviously, probably the most famous MMA guy, he comes off as someone who's just a, a, a cocky jerk, but that's who he is as a real person. Like, people think that. Whereas then you have a Kobe Covington who's trying to do this, he, he's trying to do like a super a MAGA supporter. Uh, it just comes off as fake and put on. You know, so so I, I think that's kind of what it comes to is when these these wrestlers can draw on themselves and be who they are, but turn that turn up themselves to eleven. That's when you get the good. That's when you get the goods, basically. Whereas if they're trying to to put on or be someone they're not turned up to eleven, that's where there's a disconnect, and you can kind of just feel it. And I think that's the issue that I think fans have with Roman is he doesn't come off as authentic. He comes off as someone that they're telling him to be. Well, and I mean, I think Seth Rollins is working great now as a heel than he did as a face. I don't think he's the baby face. Like, oh, I just love the fans. And I love this. I think he's actually like, I'm awesome. Why aren't you? I think, it, you know, he's probably a conceited person in real life because he is good and he is a talent. And this is working very well for him right now. Um, and then certain gimmicks, someone comes out, tries to do something, and we all just turn our backs at once and go, nope, I, I don't know what you're doing, but this isn't it. Yeah, it's just kind of it's kind of fascinating, though, to, to, to think about that. But let's get back into the retro stuff for the Retro Network. Oh, so, yes. Sorry about so that. My, my favorite lumberjack here, my MVP of the lumberjacks, Mantar. The half-man, half-beast who moves loudly throughout the entire match. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Did you say he woos? He moves. He moves. Oh, God. I want I want a Ric Flair style shirt, but with Mantar on it now, and it just says moo. <laughs> <laughs> I want Charlotte Mantar to come to the ring to carry uh-huh. on the legacy of her father. <laughs> every time, every time, uh, you know, that if someone chops someone, we woo. What can we do for someone every time? What was Mantar's signature offense where we can moo? Every time, you just get pinned. Cricket, crickets. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> nothing, you, nothing you can do. So this lumberjack match. It's one. not the figure four; it's the cube steak. Yeah. Oh, jeez, Louise. <laughs> that's terrible, Kevin. No, no. no. Ladies and gentlemen, no. that's Mister Master Library. That's Mister Asset. The DDT bone. Yeah, I, can't, yeah. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> Are you done? <laughs> Google kinds of states. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> welcome to Occupy House Shell. <laughs> uh, this match, uh, eh, it was terrible. I, one thing I just want to bring up: Diesel wins with a big boot. There's Hogan echoes, huge Hogan echoes. Just kind of, you know, Sid's supposed to be a monster, and it's just this big boot. Uh, the one thing the Lumber match was good for, though, was one, it got over Shawn Michaels, who looks like a star, jumping on everyone. Um, and then it got over the Diesel-Mabel feud, because uh, they had the interaction. Yep, they had a spot outside the ring where these, uh, Diesel kind of got smushed in between Mabel and the, the ring post. Um, so yeah, they're starting to plant the seeds of, of diesel being the next guy to, to challenge for the WWF championship. And that ended up happening at the next pay-per-view at SummerSlam. Well, I mean, Maple gets some more offense on diesel than Sid does. Yeah. And I, I said on the last one, but Sid looks lost. Sid looks confused. Sid is, does not know how to wrestle as a big man right. at all. There was the, um, on, on, uh, the award winning WWE network. 
which uh, I didn't know if you guys knew, but uh, Retro Network has, uh, if you click on the link, you can do a free trial. Really? Yes. Oh, man, this Retro Network is to be a site everyone's going to every day. They should be. Deals like that. New content every day as well. And, and, and if they eventually have shirts, I'm sure they'll be in every size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get the one size fit all, fits all Retro Network shirt. <laughs> It, uh, on WWE Network, Steve Austin has a sit-down interview show, their Broken Skull Sessions, and one episode he talks to Big Show, and Big Show keeps saying early in his career, your agents, your producers, would your bookers would get mad saying, wrestle like a giant, wrestle like a giant. And he'd say, what's that mean? It means don't wrestle like Sid. Sid never once wrestles like a near seven-footer in this. Mabel wrestles like a big man on the outside as a lumberjack to beat up Diesel. <laughs> Diesel definitely knows how to work as a big man and is in phenomenal shape at this time. But Sid is just lost, confused, out of it. I don't know what's wrong with him, but he's a big dude, so he's always going to get work. The most head-scratching part is when he dives through the ropes to jump on the face lumberjacks for no good reason. He, his opponent was in the ring. He didn't have any beef going on with anyone on the outside. Diesel did with Mabel, but Sid didn't with anyone. And he just dives there and gets yeah. beat down. It didn't look it like there was sense. any kind of interaction that he had with anybody, any of the face lumberjacks, to then constitute all oh, as a uh, as retribution to, to just go after them. And he just, he just turns around and just goes out of the ring and starts attacking. I, I don't know if he gets better in his world title pushes or if he's just big and there. Uh, and, and, and you know, maybe they'll come up in the future. But this man, I see, is not a champion. The, the Sid that we've seen the last two shows does not say world champ by any means. He says, big guy to bring in, do a couple-month feud with your champ, and then he gets out and goes to another territory. So I guess our WrestleMania is going to be uh, Educator versus King and Kevin versus <laughs> Sid. <laughs> so what double man of that? We got that. There it is. Do yeah, I have they to... get a, they, they literally. I'm left-handed. Do I have to bring special scissors? Too soon. Crickets. Too soon. Crickets. That, too was a, soon. that was a Mantar joke. So uh, they get out of that match super, super quick too. So oh they, yeah, they were they were running a low on time there. You can definitely tell. So what are you guys' thoughts on the uh, pay-per-view so far? We've had two in. Uh, we're going to do a little thing where we're going to rank the in-your-house pay-per-views. So collectively, is in-your-house two lumberjacks better than in-your-house one? We were there. I don't know what else to call it. What's the, which in, is the in, premier, I think, is the added on subtitle for it. Without, um, without a doubt. Adva- uh, pr- the first one, certainly advancing storylines. Uh, a lot better than a lot of these matches on the second pay-per-view just seem to be like thrown together randomly without too, too much buildup whatsoever. Whereas the first in your house, there was just a culmination of, of many storylines intertwined together. So without a doubt, first, first in your house definitely tops the second one, the lumberjacks. Yeah. But I, I agree on that, but I will say Jarrett Michaels is the best match so far. Of both shows, I agree. Yeah, I, I think I don't even think it's close. <laughs> it's, like, I wonder if that. I I wish I had old PWIs nearby. I wonder if that was up for like a match of the year contender. Yeah, I don't know about that, but for okay, how about for that era WWF? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> he hits those Mantar classics. So, 
that's a, that's all I got for you guys. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, obviously Double J and HBK, the number one match, and in your house, number one, the best in your house to date so far through the two. So we'll see if number three uh, has to do it. Uh, of course, in your house three coming up, just to kind of preview that. Uh, two dudes with attitudes. The two dudes with attitudes pay per view. Uh, the main event for that is going to be Diesel and Shawn Michaels taking on Yoko and Owen Hart. Maybe every title up for every grabs. title never before done in WWF. In your house, triple header is what they called it. So, uh, so that so that's it. I think it's time for us to go home. Um, what do you guys want to add, uh, Mister Educator? Anything you would like to add uh, before we sign off here? Uh, appreciate all the support so far with our debut show on the Retro Network. Again, thank you, Retro Network, for hosting uh, our hopefully weekly uh, episodes that we'll be working on as we uh, tiptoe through mid-1990s WWF through the uh, In Your Houses. And, uh, gentlemen, I look forward to continuing to work with you guys, and I enjoy this time that we get to reminisce on some of the uh, amazing, amazing memories that we had growing up with this being what uh, what we used to love and cherish. Yeah, um, you guys can uh, find uh, myself on Twitter at Matty Treats. Uh, of course, the educator is not on Twitter. He's at not on Twitter. Um, I don't know if that's taken or not. It may be, it may not be. Um, he's actually doing social media distancing, so uh, he's uh, he's not he's not uh, he, he doesn't like it. So he's gonna, love it. he doesn't want to catch anything from from the social media. Um, yeah. So you, if you have any questions, feel free to ask us. We will try to answer them. Uh, we have an encyclopedia of knowledge known as the educator with us. Uh, educating the the audience. I I like asking the questions. It's fun for me. So uh, uh, that's all I have. I do have a special guest maybe next week uh, on next week's episode. So uh, it's really special too. So, well, maybe. I don't know. Matt, the educator's giving me this look. (laughs) Well, settle down. Settle down, buddy. Uh, And then uh, Mr. Mr., uh, Library, why don't you take us home? All right. Uh you can find me online, my own blog, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all are at Masked Library or MassLibrary.com. You can find me very frequently on the Retro Network. Um, I got a piece coming up later this week as we record on most unusual WrestleMania matches. Uh, next week when this one is up, I have a special anniversary movie review. And then I'm always writing stuff for the site. So there's much more to come. Thank you, Retro Network. Thank you to everyone for all the feedback. Look forward to where this is going, and I hope the two of you uh, don't walk out on me at the end of the show, like Jarrett and Rody. Matt's giving me this look, like he doesn't like what we're booking, so I don't know. <laughs> guess we'll see. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we'll see. <laughs> all right, guys, check out the other great podcasts, too, uh, uh, on the uh, Retro Network. A lot of great stuff. Uh, that is it from the House Show, the Trio's Titles, Defended and Retained. Boom, one-time champion. So let's go, baby. See you guys later.